Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes and friends about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the genuine GM Gerrymander, the mysterious Michael Beck Esprim, and the bombastic Block Party Podcast Network. Today we have myself, Ange, along with our special guest, Brian Steele from Evil Genius Games. There's no get to know a gnome question today because we're going to dive right into chatting with Brian. Welcome, Brian Steele, to the Gnomecast. It's great to have you on the show. It is nice to be here. Uh, I am I'm, I'm super psyched to chat with you about uh, new and old and cool stuff, all things gaming, <laughs> all things nerd. Just to, to get the basics out of the way, you are a line designer at Evil Genius Games? So my official title is the producer uh, slash developer of sci-fi games at Evil Genius. I do some freelance stuff on the side as well for various companies. I do some novel work. I, I call myself a professional nerd. Uh, basically, it's it's literally if if it has something to do with the gaming industry or or adjacent to it, I've either done it or I'm willing to try to do it. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what a lot of us are aiming for, isn't it? I've been at this for a little over 20 years, and uh, I can't see myself ever doing anything else. <laughs> it is definitely, you know, kind of dominates my life. So let's start at the very beginning and talk about your gamer origin story. How did you find yourself in love with RPGs? I was seven. <laughs> uh, so uh, back when back when dinosaurs were still carving dice, I was at my, my cousin's house, uh, him and his friends, my, my older cousin, Toby. He, him and his friends were downstairs doing uh, do, doing the Dungeons and Dragons. You know, this little seven-year-old annoying kid that, you know, my dad looked at them and was like, play with your cousin. So they sat me down and threw a, threw a dwarf in front of me and a, a set of these interesting clap, you know, math rocks. I didn't actually know anything what I was doing. I was, I was literally just playing make-believe. I'm a short guy with an axe, and they told me a few things about how goblins don't know passwords. I just, that's something that stuck in my head from their adventure. <laughs> It stuck with me, and I loved the concept of make-believe with rules. Make-believe where it's not just cowboys and Indians going, I got you, no, you didn't. That stayed with me for a very long time, but I didn't actually get into gaming gaming. like I, I, I'd call myself an imaginative kid, mm -hmm. but then gaming took hold probably about 13 or 14. I went to a local, uh, a local picnic and saw somebody who was reading Dragonlance books. The rest literally is history. I never turned away from uh, from my 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 love of role playing games. It eventually blossomed into regular fiction, and then miniature games, and, and now it is everything that I do. I think a lot of us got started as imaginative kids playing pretend, and then when we were older, and that was no longer in fashion, we discovered role playing games, and hey, we still get to play pretend. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, fast forward many, many moons and uh, I had became a father and uh, got to do it all over again with uh, with a youngster. Now I'm getting to see him turn into a little gamer. So it is definitely a, a uh, I won't say the largest facet of my life, but it's definitely the largest. It is the single most common thread that goes between all of the different aspects of my life. So how did you go from just being a player, gamer, fan, nerd to becoming a professional nerd and doing this stuff for a living? I will absolutely admit that part of it was luck. School and I did not work out. Mm -hmm. I moved down to, uh, to Lafayette to go to Purdue. 
it seems that I, I might have a problem with authority. It's very strange. <laughs> uh, like I'm not, I'm not sure where, where that comes from, but school and I didn't work out and I went into the workforce. Uh, I went from dead end job to dead end job, uh, got married. Basically one night I came home from my cubicle job at state farm. Oh, I literally called fire departments to find out how their water pressure was in their fire suppressant system. That was my job. I can hear the soul crushing from here. It was awful. And I came home and I sat down and my, uh, my wife at the time, she looked at me and said, you know, we need to get you into something that is not this. And uh, I was like, yeah, but what do I do? You know, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of work with a couple of magazines and, you know, like it was, it was nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. a little bit of play testing here and there, nothing big. It just so happened our local comic book shop, the woman who owned it uh, is the mother of a friend of mine. And she was ill at the time and was talking about selling part of the shop. And so uh, my wife at the time and, and myself, we went and looked at a business loan and we were talking about buying into the shop uh, because then it would at least give me something in even close to a creative field. Mm-hmm. And during that process, we never actually ended up doing it, but during that process, the shop owner said, well, if you're really serious about this, we need to take you to one of the trade shows, like take you to a place that's not for gamers. You know, you've been doing Gen Con and Origins forever, but yeah, but now go see one of the trade shows. And he took me to the Alliance Open House in Fort Wayne, which is just like a couple hours north of me. We went there and it blew the doors off of my mental barn. I was like, wait, so there's places you can go and just like talk to people who create games. Well, that's what is this? And they're not going to try and sell me something. They're just trying to show me cool things. We walked around and we, we saw all this stuff. And I saw this little booth in the display hall um, that had these really cool pieces of art, these big, you know, steamwork robots and, and things. And I was like, what the hell am I looking at? This is really cool. They were like, well, we've got a little miniatures game that's going to come out next year. You want to give it a try. And we sat down and we played two or three kind of quick games with these little steampunk you know, robots, unpainted minis, which you never see now, but like at then it was literally cardboard boxes and index cards that you wrote on with dry erase marker. I mean, like it was real low rent, <laughs> but it was an amazing game. Even at that point, I knew because I had done some playtesting and stuff and I was like, I knew this was a solid game. And I told him, I was like, what you've got here is really, really cool. So I, I whipped out my perforated Avery printed business card that went to my MySpace page. <laughs> Oh, you know, I was about to ask you when this was all taking place, and I'm figuring the early 2000s. Yes. <laughs> and I handed it off to him, and I was like, you know, if you guys ever need anything, anything at all, you let me know. And honestly, I was I was really just kind of fishing for free stuff. Please send me, send me free demo minis and stuff. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, just walked away from it. And uh, about a month and a half later, uh, I get an email through my business card that says, hey, it says you've done some writing here. Would you like to do a test piece for us? We've got an opening. I went ahead and put together this couple thousand words, you know, just so to just see how it, how it would pan out, sent it off. And before I sent it off, I gave it to, I gave it to my wife and was like, hey, you know, she, she edited everything that I did at the time. And I was like, hey, give this a read. Does it make any sense? This could be for a job. And, and she read through it. And at, at the time, I had one of the characters get killed at the end of the story. She was like, why did you kill off this little goblin? You know, he's, he was, he's too cool. You know, like you gave him an accent. He's awesome. You should have him live. And I was like, no, because of, you know, I'm, I'm early twenties ennui. you know, give, give me all the malaise for my character. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, he needs to live. And so I changed the ending of the story that he like ducks at the last minute and the cannonball goes flying over his head. And he became kind of the comic relief. I sent it off to the people in, in question. And that was Matt Wilson from Privateer Press. 
And he wrote me back a couple of days later and was like, you obviously know what you're doing. You've got the chops. You know the world well enough. Uh, we love the goblin character that you've created. <laughs> Trust the wife. Yeah, exactly. And do you think you can do 70,000 words by August? I said yes, you know, not, not having any idea what that actually looked like. But that ended up being uh, War Machine Prime uh, in 2002. That was my first official gig. And this little guy right behind me, that is the original art for Reinhold the Gobber, who I invented in my opening story, <laughs> who has a model in the game. He was part of the original book. Who would not live if it were not for your wife. It would, he would not have made it. He would have been a tragic accident. <laughs> We got that turned in and we started working on the next project. We started working on Escalation. And the following year, we won three Origins Awards for Machine Prime. And uh, being on that stage uh, with you know Jason and, and Matt and Brian and everybody, accepting the, the awards for, I only, I only did fiction in that. I didn't do any design work. It was all just character design and fiction stuff. But even just being up there and being like, whoa, people actually, they actually pay attention to this kind of stuff. I never wanted to look back. I was like, that, that's what I wanted to do. That's awesome. The rest is that was 2002 going into 2003. And now here we are, you know, 22 years later, a couple of million words published. And uh, <laughs> now I thank those guys every time I see them. They took a chance on a kid with a, a weird head on his shoulders and a perforated Avery business card. And uh, <laughs> they made my career. I'd like to think that I have since. Uh, held on to it and gotten where I've gone because of talent. Uh, but I know that I was in the right place at the right time in that instance. I can actually feel the edges of that Avery business card right now. Absolutely. <laughs> you know exactly what I was, what I was handing out. I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, most of your current work is with Evil Genius Games on various stuff related to everyday heroes, if I'm correct? Yeah. When I took the position, I left. Uh, I was a contracted freelancer over at Renegade Games. We had just gotten done doing all of the Transformers and G.I. Joe and Power Rangers. We, uh, Elisa and I and, and a, a crew of a whole bunch of others, we put together the Essence 20 system for Renegade Games. And while I was in between books over there, the owner over at Evil Genius contacted me and said, there's a project that I think that you'd be perfect for. Do you want to sit down and talk about it? And we did. And while it still has not happened yet because of legal stuff, it was absolutely a dream, a, a dream opener for me. And, and so I, I went ahead and joined up and less than a month later, he asked me to come full time. So now, uh, apart from some fiction work and then my, uh, my partners over at Resnova. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm wearing the hoodie. Uh, Resnova Games. We do uh, Warzone Eternal miniatures game. Mm -hmm. so that's just my extracurriculars. Again, working when you're not when you're out of the office. But that's you know that's my other stuff. But yeah, my my regular day to day is just basically putting together things like Pacific Rim and King, the King Kong Skull Island, Total Recall, Universal Soldier, Escape from New York, and then a few things that I can't talk about just yet. <laughs> <laughs> the the ink is still wet on the paper, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones I want to know about, though. I had a meeting today that I wish I could tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> so how early in the development of Everyday Heroes did you get involved? So Everyday Heroes itself as a system, the, the core system, it was well done. Mm -hmm. Sig and Chris had already completely made that game. When I came on, I initially came on uh, just to dabble with some of the sci-fi stuff to tack on to it uh, to work with the settings that are kind of the skins that go on to everyday heroes. 
I found out very quickly that I I really do think that it is a they did a really good job with that core system. Yeah. And then, you know, we are actively working right now towards the uh, Everyday Arcana, the urban fantasy line that is a very similar they, you will see a lot of the same feel. Um and a lot of that stuff will work hand in hand. You know, like you'll be able to use a lot of the characters from one to play in the other and expect cool convention event, uh, events and things to take place down the road. I actually one of the uh, one of the questions I have here for you is about doing crossovers between the various settings. If you've played with that at all and have any recommendations on ones that work together well. Absolutely. Do you want to wait for that question or? Yeah, let's wait for that question because I want to get a little more into the uh so I love Everyday Heroes. Uh, one of my groups, we've been doing a Highlander game. We're all completely in love with it. it is, it's been absolutely fantastic. But because it was adapting 5e, we were curious, like, what made it easier or harder with 5th edition to get the feel of D20 Modern? Because I believe that's what was the goal in all of this. I can't speak for Sig's mindset, mm -hmm. but I can say that from conversations we've had afterwards, that uh, the biggest thing is that, especially in a modern setting, most modern settings will say, you know, obviously Highlander, some of that gets set aside. But in most modern settings, you've got to deal with firearms. Uh, you've got to deal with the fact that most of these combats are probably going to be ranged. We all forgive D&D for having armor class being how, how you get hit. Mm-hmm. It is just, you know, from the Thacko days. Yeah. It's an old holdover and it is what it is. Several games, uh, you know, way back in my mongoose years, we did Conan the role-playing game and we turned armor into a damage reduction. There's always been different ways to do it, but one of the things that I think needed to be approached and Sig did an uh, amazing job is assigning that penetration value to every attack that if you get shot and you're wearing a leather coat, it's probably not going to help you. Just enough realism that you don't roll your eyes at something, but also enough action adventure movie tropes that if I have the big strong guy that gets kicked into the side of the truck as a GM, I can go ahead and describe that, you know, that the truck door crimples around you and it doesn't have to be a superhero. It doesn't have right. to be. I'm, we're not playing Marvel or DC or, or anything like that. We can still have that because these are all tropes. The, the whole the whole game was built off of action adventure series tropes yeah and i think that i think that they hit it on the head they did a really really good job i'm i'm very fortunate with the toolbox that i have to work with i feel like it it, it really balances that need for having a touch of the verisimilitude of what you would see in that type of setting but also enough freedom to be like this is an action movie go forth do big things exactly exactly one of my favorite things uh that I was introduced very early on uh, during the the design process when we were working on the the whole Rebel Moon thing was plans for smart heroes is easily one of my favorite aspects of this game of the of these games collectively mm -hmm. because it allows me as a game master slash player to do those cool kind of stop motion montages that happened in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. Mm -hmm. That's what I see these as is the you know pause play. This is how this could have gone. This is how it could go. I'm going to go ahead and spend my genius point to go ahead and do path B because path B makes more sense. I love that idea. And it gives us a ton of fun stuff to play with. It is really such a narrative tool that the player gets to do. And that's so important is player agency. 
Now, you said the words, so what can you tell us about the Rebel Moon situation? I can tell you basically what marketing has already said and what we've, what legal has already said. Um, we are in the middle of a litigation uh, with Netflix. We were contacted. I don't know the exact date that we, that we started things off because I came on board in the kind of in the middle of it mm -hmm. to build a rebel moon role-playing game. And uh, we worked hand in hand with Zack Snyder, which was awesome. He's one of my personal film heroes. If you can't tell my Aquaman shrine, my Kryptonian, <laughs> uh, my Kryptonian tattoo. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, so it was, it really was uh, utterly humbling to be in the same electronic room with them and, and, and to work on this, this universe, some stuff happened, some things went through and, uh, uh, eventually we had to kind of put a pause on everything and then, you know, tried to get everything resolved and it ended up going to litigation. And now we're waiting to see how that pans out hopefully for the positive, hopefully everybody wins. That's the goal. Now, is there anything that fans can do to help support you guys in this? On the Evil Genius website, there is a, a signature link. What is that called? Petition. Yes. You can go and add your name to the list of things and then, you know, just spread the word using the, all the various hashtags that we've got on the on that particular. We basically, there's a page, a sub page on our website that talks about the whole thing. And actually uh, my boss, Dave gets on there and he says things a lot more eloquently as far as how this whole thing came to be, because he obviously was there since the very beginning. I can say this, that uh, things we have moved them into that position. And now we're just kind of waiting to see how everything shakes up. Either way, it is not stopping us from putting out a bunch of really, really cool stuff in our other lines and uh, even doing some experimental stuff within some of our own products. We just put out uh, a couple of our first PDFs that are solely our products, uh, Evil Genius, you know, designed concept art, the whole nine yards, um, that uh, are not physical books. We like, they're, they're literally just, you know, uh, we, behind the iron curtain, we call them snackables. <laughs> they're basically little, little, you know, things that if you want to get a get a, a, a cool new class to play in your everyday heroes game, we're going to offer this class and you just add it in. They're all it's all optional. Cool stuff. Uh, we just added one of those a couple weeks ago. We have another one coming out. I'll say December 1st, <laughs> because I don't know exactly when this is going to come out. <laughs> it might already be there. Yeah, I um, but yeah. think that it, it, if it comes out on December 1st, it should already be out. What are the names of these these snackables? The first two that are already out, the first one is the Agency Files number one, uh, The Mysterious Agent. Basically, it was a way for us to do a men in black trope, because we've actually had some people mention about that in our Discord server. We don't have any uh, kind of goofy sci-fi, like 50 sci-fi. Right. And so I, I sat down and was like, you know what? We, I, we can make that happen. So we've got a series called The Agency Files that are going to be little small chunks of stuff that you can bring into your own everyday heroes game. Uh, and then in our more direct modern setting, we just released the Outlaw Bikers number one, which is basically NPCs and rules on how to run an outlaw motorcycle club. Which every modern game should have one outlaw motorcycle gang that you go up against. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's more coming down the pipe. We're starting to get into the holidays, so things will get a little wonky. But there's a bunch of cool stuff. And overwhelmingly, we heard so many times uh, at Gen Con and Origins is that people want more 
npcs type stuff mm-hmm. you know like more more stat blocks more things that they can throw at their at their their players because while the everyday heroes book uh, i'm looking off to the left because i've got one here has a ton of npcs in the back depending on the game that you're running you might only use the same four or five over and over and over again so we want to try and expand on that and give people more theaters and more arenas that they can that they can bring to their table and i imagine with something like a uh, agency files there's also aliens and other sorts of things to go up against if this comes out after the first you'll actually get to see some of the alien <laughs> technology because that's that's the that's the next uh, the next file that comes out and then the third one which is due i think later in the month um actually has some alien races including rules on how to play them now um we've already talked a whole bunch well you've mentioned a whole bunch of the ips that you guys have been able to put out books for which is, you know, as a longtime gamer, is astounding to see one company be able to put out so many of these. What are some of the ones you, like, you mentioned a bunch that you've worked on. What are some of the ones you haven't worked on? I did not have anything directly to do with uh, Highlander or The Crow. Those were well underway before I ever, ever came on board. Rambo is another one. I was in the company during a lot of its post-production. The, the book itself was, was basically done. Mm-hmm. For the most part, the uh, the three producers, we've got three mainstay producers at Evil Genius, BJ Hensley, myself, and Rich Redman. Each of us kind of focuses on a set of, a, a, like a, a line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich does all of our modern, more traditional modern stuff. BJ is, is going to be completely in charge of all of our urban fantasy, the everyday fantasy, the, the everyday arcana lines. Uh, and then I'm all sci-fi. And then BJ and I have a little bit of a handshake agreement if we get a couple of, we're eyeballing a couple of horror licenses that both of us are like, we'll tag team that one. (laughs) We're both big fans. I got to say, I'm really excited about the Arcana stuff because that was one of the things I was pondering. Oh, I'd love to do something urban fantasy with this, but I don't know how I would do magic right now. Since I'm not there for a lot of that development, but I do get to see it, um, you'll be happy. (laughs) <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff that they're working on. I've been playing the Highlander game, and I got to play Pacific Rim with you, and I've looked at some of the other stuff. What I'm fascinated by is how you, how do you guys approach tweaking the base Everyday Heroes engine to adapt it to these various IPs, especially since, we'll move into this after this question, uh, we can do crossovers and blend these things together in our massive multiversal matchups. So the biggest thing with a, with a setup like this, with a license like this, is as long as we know that Everyday Heroes or Everyday Arcana or the as yet named Everyday Sci-Fi, as long as whatever your cinematic setting that you're doing is building off of that as a route, you figure out what's a cool thing that is like the the gimmick. And I don't mean use, I'm not using that word negatively. I mean like just the the, mm-hmm. the kind of shtick for that book. Rambo gets deeper into the the gritty aspect of being alone in the deep jungle. Universal Soldier brings cybernetics to the table. Hackram obviously has the Titanic scale robots. Kong has monsters that are beyond your capacity to handle as a little person. These these creatures that are you know larger than life but still part of the the world that you're playing in. Highlander has the apart from just being immortals but also has a dueling system. Has the yeah. dueling system that that would work just fine even if you weren't immortal. Escape from New York has reputation in building street gangs. They all bring something to the Everyday Heroes core system that's not found in the main book that is a good, a good, even if you don't 
care about Escape from New York. Like you're like, I don't, we're not going to run it in the New York Max, whatever. You might still love the concept of maybe you want to run. Uh, well, I'll I'll throw a I'll, I'll throw a Necromunda out there. You know, you want to run a, a a Necromunda game that is role playing, that is you know street gang on street gang on street gang down in the hives. You could use those rules using Everyday Heroes, and and not have to necessarily do the setting, um, which was part of the concept also uh, with the Vault, uh, which we we just recently I believe is it's not out out yet, but it's heading to warehouses now I think. But uh, that's a collection of rules that can add to everyday heroes that would be useful depending on the situation that you want. It's a, it's a kind of a compilation of rules. Each one of these settings, when we sit down and we go, hey, let's take a look at this license or this license or this license. The next question we often ask in those meetings, in our, in our creative team lead meetings, is what does that book bring to the greater family? Mm-hmm. Because while it'd be awesome to just throw down and go, you know, I want the Rocky Four license. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm throwing it out there. Uh, you know, let's say we wanted the Rocky license. It would mean that not just, you know, it's not just a book on how to play a boxer. It would need to be probably detailed rules on different, maybe uh, mixed martial arts or a more in-depth version of unarmed combat mm-hmm. or something along those lines, or maybe just a, 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 a sports-based mini game <laughs> top of my head kind of stuff. But that would be something we would need to ask in order to make that book justifiable. Taking that concept of all these rules that can kind of be used in different, you know, like these toolboxes that can be put together in different ways. What about crossovers? Uh, what, what, type of crossovers have you played with what do you recommend do you have any you you caution against i've got a couple i don't caution anyone against anything if my number one rule and i'm gonna it's gonna sound like a cop-out my number one rule is everyone if everyone's having having fun at the table you're not doing it wrong that's all that matters you know at the end of the day what we do what we do to try and make every room a little happier than when we got than when we than we got there the the hope is that rules wise we don't introduce something that completely and utterly just screws up everything. We would hope that the GM takes a look at it. Do I suggest throwing a random immortal from Highlander into like a hardcore survival game out of Rambo? <laughs> Not unless that's your shtick. If that's what you want, if you're like, no, no, can they survive in this situation? Then that's what you do. But you want, as long as you know going into it, then it'll be fine. But there are definitely a couple of things that I think that mix really, really well. Mm-hmm. I think Crow and Highlander play wonderfully together, having that just just that that taste of supernatural. I particularly like using the dual mechanic from Highlander in uh, like uh, gang leader square offs in Escape from New York. Oh yeah, that would work really well. While the gangs are having their the warriors feel like when they're all fighting against each other, you can have your you know Michael Jackson's bad moment. In the middle, for all you youngsters out there, there was a there's a music video that's a million years old, a gang fight uh, that used real gang members, by the way. But yeah, it's uh, uh, something like that. You could totally do with the dual mechanic, uh, where you could have the the gang leaders doing their fight while everyone else is there, you know, raging around them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, cybernetics from Universal Soldier could be used as long as your setting would be okay with it. You could absolutely have someone get a cool prosthetic arm. Or something along those lines, and then absolute armor and titanic creatures. 
Come on, who doesn't love a giant monster? <laughs> Again, as long as the game master knows what they're getting into, uh, you know, don't put a giant singing ant with absolute armor up against an everyday heroes group if they don't have something that can deal with that. You're signing them up for failure, uh, unless that's your you know, you're trying to point out, hey, you need to run from something. So you know that that could be one of the things that you do. Although, please, GMs, if you are going to do that. Make sure you telegraph that the characters need to run from things. Yes. I've been in those TPKs where the players refused to leave because they didn't think they were supposed to run. We, we just aren't rolling high enough. Yeah. No, ab- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think that the gimmicks are good in the right application, and some of them do mesh really, really well together. I'm a big fan of uh, throwing everything in the pot and see what happens for one shots. <laughs> Not for campaigns, but for ha- you know having everybody sit down and just sort of bring something from the table that that works, and uh, maybe at this point, you know, maybe this time next year we'll have somebody that you know brings one of the the mysterious agents to one of those melting plot games, and I hear uh, I hear somebody about when they used their locust pistol because you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful of the IP there. Oh yeah. What types of things do we have in the future from you and Evil Genius Games that you can talk about? We have already announced, obviously, all the uh, Everyday Arcana stuff, including the uh, setting of Shadows Surrounded. Uh, They were the ones who actually won the writing contest we did for being the first official Everyday Arcana setting book. We've got uh, the Military Heroes and the Armory books that we uh, that are actually going to be headed to GameFound come spring. It might be either January or February that, uh, that that's launching. Which there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on that on our social media right now because we've made arrangements for it to be uh, part of a charity as well. We're setting up some cool social media stuff with that because it is 100% written by veterans, either active or former. Oh, sweet! It's a very cool process, and Rich is working himself uh, ragged getting that put together. But it's it's gonna it's absolutely gonna shine. In my neck of the woods, we had a Kickstarter last year for a Kong Skull Island and Pacific Rim uh, cinematic adventure path books and companion books that go along with them that are informational. Uh, So for Pac Rim, we've got the Dominion of Iron, uh, which is the uh, cinematic adventure path that is technically a prequel to the movie. Takes you from uh, level one all the way through level 10. It's a complete campaign if you want it to be. Or you could grab a couple of the missions and run them in your existing game if you wanted to. It probably would make more sense to run them as a series, but you know that's that's up to you. Uh, and then the compa- companion book to that is the uh, Jaeger Codex, which is a technical manual on how to build your own Jaeger. Uh, plus, it's got stat blocks for all of the existing Jaegers in canon and a new class. Ooh, ooh, a new uh, a new class if you want to play that guy who is maybe not necessarily the pilot. Maybe somebody, the, the guy in the van, might be more, <laughs> more akin to what you want to do. And then uh, over on Skull Island, we've got the Isle of the Damned, uh, which is another cinematic adventure path that takes you from 1st through 10th. And then uh, its companion book is actually the Cryptid Codex, uh, which is a, a Kong NPC statistic book, I believe is what <laughs> the, the official term I'm supposed to use. But either way, it's uh, those four things are, are well underway. Uh, we've gotten Legendary to sign off on everything. That's actually one of the things that well, all these cinematic adventures, uh, we work hand in hand with the studios to make sure what we're doing matches their vision. We check mm-hmm. with them. Uh, it's, it's as close to getting this stuff you know, stamped as canon as possible because we want to make sure that 
should our relationship with them grow and become different and better that we can you know refer back to point a how how about this cool thing you want to use this we can use this that's very cool stuff i like i said one of the things i've been impressed with is all of the the actual setting ips that have come out and no matter how many of those you came out with if the game wasn't fun it wouldn't matter but the game happens to be really fun <laughs> So it's really cool to see all these IPs coming out for it. That's actually part of the reason why we did the vault, where we take a lot of those extra rules and package them together in a, in a tome of its own, a compendium of its own. Because we know that there will be fans out there that go, I don't, you know, I, I don't know who you are, but there might be people out there that don't like Highlander. I don't know who they are either. I don't know who they are. They're, they're, they're no friends of mine, that's for sure. Maybe they don't care about Highlander and they're like, I don't care about Immortals. But that dueling mechanic sounds really cool. Right. This gives them an opportunity to catch all of the stuff that they might have missed, uh, plus a little extra, with that setting demand then scrubbed out of it. You know, so, mm -hmm. the, so that way you don't have to play as a mortal to use this. So that's that's the 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 benefit of being able to create, like you said, rules for a game that is already fun. The setting just it's it's icing on the cake. It's just mm -hmm. cool stuff that we get to play in. And it also inspires us. It gives us yeah. an opportunity. We could see a license to go back to the the fake example of Rocky. I go, I watch a Rocky movie and I go, man, I would absolutely love to have that moment. Oh, I need to come up with I, I need to gamify how to do the crowd. How does the crowd work? You know, like that's that's the kind of thing that that we as designers and, and producers and stuff, we have to try and bring to the table. And at the end of the day, if all of us look at something and go, I don't know if this is going to work, either it won't end up in a book, we won't shoot for the license, or that's the kind of thing that might end up in one of those, those PDF snackable things that we were talking about, is if I've got a cool system but nothing to use it at, but I really, really want somebody to see this, I can still get it written up and get it out there for people to, to, to use and, and see how it goes. Yeah. And... and to what you were saying, I think a lot of times it's the setting that gets people to look at the game, but it's the game that keeps them playing it. That's the hope. There are a lot of, especially in our industry, there are a lot of, uh, I hate to use the term cash grab. It's such a, uh, an awful term, but there are a lot of products out there where you see it and go, this is just a skin. I'm buying it to put it on my shelf. You know, you give me the Aquaman role-playing game, and I'll, I'll buy it and put it on my shelf. <laughs> you give me Aquaman Munchkin, it's going right there. Whether or not it's a fun game is secondary mm -hmm. uh, in some instances. Obviously not Munchkin, Steve. I <laughs> He's a friend of mine. I don't, I don't want to be like, Brian, you've been talking smack about Munchkin. But yeah, no, it was, it was just the first thing that popped in my head. <laughs> Omnipresent as it is. I saw you guys all over the place at conventions this past year. Does next year look similar are people going to find you guys at origins and gen con and other shows definitely origins and gen con you know gen con is a non is a you can't miss as as in the industry mm -hmm. when someone says they're not going to gen con fans might go oh but people in the industry our next question is always why <laughs> are you okay yeah exactly the, what's going on you know that, that's that's such a huge thing unless you're a tiny company and you just can't afford it we right. also know that it's expensive Origins is turning out to be a great show. It really is starting to shape up. Back in the early 2000s, it was an amazing show. It faltered there for a little while, uh, as did a lot of things. The industry had kind of a rough spot, but it is definitely coming back around, and we, we have every plans to make Origins special for us. <laughs> 
we were looking at doing PAX Unplugged this year, but it ended up not gelling. It ended up not coming together. It's a weird time of year. We came at it kind of late. We got the opportunity much later than we would like to be able to plan a show, but we can start planning what's going to happen there next year now. Gotcha. Yeah, I've I've always been curious about PAX Unplugged, but between Thanksgiving and Christmas is rough time period to travel. It is a very fun show. Like you said, it is it is kind of that weird one holiday just ended and you're gearing up for the next one. But from an industry standpoint, it's a great show to kind of end the year on. Mm-hmm. It just didn't come together for us this time. Obviously, we'll do all the trade shows. You know, we'll do the, the ones that the folks behind the curtain have to see. And I, I know that I personally, there are several shows that I will not miss as a gamer, whether I'm there to play or to you know, play on a live stream or do panels or, or, or just, you know, go to have a good time. I've got three of those. One of them is also work, but I won't ever miss them if I can help it. I'll go ahead and name them. Uh, Adepticon in Chicago, because I do a lot of stuff with miniature games. That has always been kind of miniature mecca. I love that show. And it's also really close to me. It's only like two hours away. It's easy to get to. GaryCon is another great show. Um, And I think, uh, if I'm right, I think we're sponsoring it next year. Oh, very cool. We'll have a booth there. Um, I'm going to just play and see a bunch of my industry folk. And I think I'm running a special event for Luke. I'm not 100% sure because it's also the same weekend as Adepticon. So I got to play double fiddle at that one. I'm doing two days one and two days the other. But my, the show that has really shaped up, uh, which you obviously know because this is where I met you. Uh, Gamehole Con has really, really turned it to be, I lucked out. I went a couple of years ago, three years ago, I went and a friend of mine was like, you have to go to the show. It's great. It's not that far away. I went and I had a blast. I was like, this is amazing. And then uh, last year I went back as just, I, I ran some, I ran some events and just had a good time. Uh, and then between last year and this year, Alex, the showrunner, he sent me a message and goes, hey, you haven't filled out your special guest form yet. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, I was like I don't, what, are you, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah. He's like, don't you guest for us? And I was like, I haven't yet, but I will. And so yeah, I, fi- I filled out all this stuff and I had such a great time running, running the special events and doing panels. And uh, I got to play a few games of my own, uh, but it was, it was a, just a lot of fun. And I love that show. It really, really is a fantastic, it's one of the best, as far as like management wise, well-run shows. Yeah. At this point, I've done them in multiple countries and every month of the year. Gamehole is really, really one of the best run shows around. Yeah, this was my first year getting to Gamehole and I was really impressed. It's like a 12-hour drive for me, but I'm still going to try and get there again next year because it was a lot of fun. Now you, I, I don't want to to out where you're coming from, but uh, where are you driving in from? Western New York. Oh, okay. So driving west under the bottom of the lakes. Gotcha. Origins is about halfway. Origins is every year. I've been doing that one every year since 2007, I think. Awesome. Part of the reason Evil Genius Games caught my eye is one, my buddy decided he was going to run a Highlander game, and two, your booth was right there outside of the room. I didn't even have to go to the dealer's room to buy the book. You were right there. I went to Origins this last year for Warzone for for my other gig, but I spent a bunch of time at the booth because I was getting to meet my new coworkers. That was shortly, that was just maybe like a month after I had hired on. It was a couple months after. That's awesome. It was neat to get to meet so many people. And yeah, that kind of pop-up booth that we had out in the hallway, what an unexpected, brilliant idea. 
and everybody who walked past there at least noticed. Mm -hmm. We got so many eyeballs of people coming over to say hi. I hope we get the same kind of placement again next year. That'll be really cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to get on the mics and talk with me for the Gnomecast. Is there any last things you'd like to say before we sign off? I have never met a microphone I didn't like, so <laughs> I will absolutely fill your ear. Apart from obviously following me on uh, on the various socials where you can find me either at, at Brian C.P. Steele or at The Professional Nerd, depending on, like, I think TikTok, I'm still The Professional Nerd, and my YouTube show is Tales from a Professional Nerd. Right now, we are midway, not we, Evil Genius, we as Brian, through Lynn Vander Studios. I am on a host of amazing, amazing writers that helped with the Pillars of Power book for Emeria. The Kickstarter is going on right now, but uh, I'm sharing the pages with like Luke and Elisa and Ed Greenwood and Keith Baker, Damian Haas. I forgot how many cool people were in this book with us. When that infographic went out, I kind of freaked out a little bit. I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot. <laughs> so that's ongoing. Uh, but honestly, if uh, anybody just wants to, wants to reach out and say hi, Hit me up on socials. I answer everyone. I am not unreachable by any stretch of the imagination. And if you, <laughs> anybody has any questions or anything, I'm, I would love to love to answer. And obviously, if you ever need anything or anything, you let me know too. Yeah, definitely reach out. Thank you so much. And I'll use my catchphrase. Try to leave every room that you enter just a little happier than when you got there. This show is funded by the Gnomestew Patreon. You too can be a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomestew website to the Gnomestew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by all of the IPs your brain can imagine. You want, you saw it in a show? You saw it on TV? Well, we can make a game about it. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas talking games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Join Panda's Phil and Senda every Wednesday, answering listener questions about playing, running, designing TTRPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. And I don't think anybody ended up in the stew this week, because, you know, we're not going to do that to a guest. What are we, savages? Savages?